0: Five, four, three, two. Oh, my garage door is opening underneath me so i'm gonna <laughs> wait <Yeah. laughs> there's your cold open andrew really convenient timing yeah at least we have the cold opening decided as the actual cold opening Welcome to the East Lansing Insider. It's Wednesday, November 4th. I'm Andrew Graham, joined today with Alice Drager and Emily Joan Elliott. Guys, how are we doing post-election day?
1: Hanging in there. (laughs) I have to say, Andrew, that last week I asked you how I could sound more like you, mellow and calm, and less like me, intense and overwrought, and you said I should sound like I'm sitting on the porch after a night with my buddies drinking, and I'm sort of Dealing with the hangover, and since last night was the presidential election, and as we're recording, we still don't know who won. I am there.
0: Perfect. Should be a nice and chill Cheech and Chong <laughs> up and smoke episode of the East Lansing <laughs> um, So before we get too off the rails and in trouble, I'm just going to get into the headlines here. Um, so on the election point, votes have been fully counted in East Lansing. Um, and that the only election here was school board, and the winners were Debbie Walton, Elizabeth Guerrero-Lyons, and Monica Fink. Moving on, over the weekend, as many of you are aware, uh, there was quite a bit of activity after the Michigan State-Michigan football game, including several citations uh, were issued for violations of the public health order. Now, the HRC meets tonight, this Wednesday, and they will be discussing the disorderly conduct code and ordinance. And so I wanted to jump right into that. Emily, you covered this, uh, wrote the story on it on Eastlandsinfo.news. What what might we expect from the HRC tonight and what, what happened over the weekend?
2: Uh, so I'm less equipped to tell you what we might expect from the HRC tonight, but I can bring us up to speed on the ordinance on disorderly conduct has been discussed since June. It came up at council in light of police reforms and rethinking how policing is done in the United States and in East Lansing. And the HRC wanted to come up with recommendations. They discussed this at their August and September meetings, and then it went back to council. And it was difficult to bring what council had said in june what hrc had said in august and september and discuss this all in one place so they agreed to form a task force but some of the things to watch out for are there was an idea of removing um the subsection about rioting um and an idea that it could be implemented unfairly it could be used to target certain groups disproportionately But then Lisa Babcock had pointed out that was removed, then there would be an issue that the local law wouldn't be in place. So people who were involved in a riot could then be charged at the state level, which would have much harder, much stricter penalties. Um, I believe it would go from being a misdemeanor on the local level to a felony on the state level. Then the other option is to no longer make it a misdemeanor, to make it a civil infraction, Um, So there was a lot of back and forth, uh, but primarily the rioting subsections have been used to stop couch burnings, which happened this weekend following the MSU uh, University of Michigan game, MSU won. At least one couch was burned at Cedar Village. There was a large crowd um, on Albert Avenue as well. It appeared to me that the police just dispersed them. Their presence was enough to spend students scrambling away. But there were 11 citations issued for oversized gatherings at private residences. And I did speak to Linda Vale about that, um, about the large gatherings, which are harder for her to regulate. And there is just mounting frustration that students are following the rules and the ordinance that makes it illegal, it makes it a civil infraction to violate a public health ordinance has made public health orders more enforceable, but there are still people doing what they want, violating these And hospitalizations. There's not many Ingham County residents who are hospitalized right now, but there are people from other parts of of Michigan in Ingham County hospitals, so our hospitals are reaching capacity. So we don't wanna have a larger outbreak
1: here. I think also once we see those Ingham County numbers um, updated, we may see more of the Ingham County folks representing the people that are in the local hospitals.
0: Right. Uh, Yeah, there's always a sort of a bit of a lag between something happening and when you start to see the uptick in cases and then after that, the uptick in hospitalizations and stuff like that. So I don't think the, the actual COVID impact of this is quite measurable at this point. But I am curious about I, I listened to the the East Lansing Police scanner for about seven minutes on Saturday afternoon and hundred block of Collingwood fire couch burnt on MAC and Elizabeth. Uh, car was parked on in a yard in Albert and Gunson other large crowds. There was one at Elizabeth and MAC a couch fire in a gathering. Um, and that was from like five minutes of listening to the police scanner. So it just became very clear that even, despite the gatherings last week being lowered to 10 people outdoors from 25 and everything else that I, I think what it illustrates more than anything to me is the issue of the problem with policing behavior as it regards the pandemic is it, it if it's reactive, it isn't effective in terms of preventing spread of the virus. Cause once those people gathered, it was too late.
1: We had a, uh, report this week on this from Emily called on heels of large crowds and couch burnings HRC considers disorderly conduct ordinance and I just wanted to tell our readers that that includes a couple of videos sent in by a reader of the crowd that gathered at the Ann Street Plaza and if you haven't seen this video I recommend you go to Emily's article read the article and take a look at the videos because it really gives you a sense of just how difficult it can be for the police to manage a crowd like the one that just very rapidly um, occurred, and then also was extremely enthusiastic in terms of their response to what was going on with the game.
0: Right. And it, again, it comes back to, It's these aren't things that are necessarily out of the ordinary in East Lansing. I'm not saying that couch burnings are traditional, but it is not the first time in history that Michigan State football or basketball has won a big game, and a bunch of people have gone out into the streets and burned some stuff. So, it, it's It's just another time of where normal behaviors, quote unquote, is just extra compounding something that we're trying as a society to manage and how 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 much we must limit ourselves and what we do to try and protect ourselves and others. And it's just I I think we're (laughs) nine months into this really understanding how broad we have to consider how we change our lives.
1: And I, I just want to emphasize for folks who continue to write to me and think that COVID is not that big a deal. It is certainly the case that COVID is not that big a deal for some folks, but I'll just give you as an insider perspective. My um, spouse is the uh, interim dean of Michigan State Medical School and is a physician who works at Sparrow. One of his colleagues who's on wards right now had uh, something like 12 patients yesterday in the morning, uh, eight of whom had COVID. And by the evening, several of them had been moved to the ICU. We know that, uh, I believe right now, nine people in uh, Sparrow are in ventilators. So it's, it's true that for some folks, COVID won't be a big deal. It won't affect them very much. Some may never even know that they've had it. But for some folks who have it, there's no question that it's life-threatening. And also, I want to emphasize that the damage that's done to lungs from COVID is not like the damage that's done from other diseases. It's potentially permanent. Um, and so that's why we hear about folks who get lung transplants. So... I recognize that some of our readers are writing in and saying there's been an overreach. You know, that's one perspective. We try to bring the different perspectives of Eli, absolutely. Um, but I, I don't want to say that there is no impact on people in terms of morb- morbidity and mortality from this disease. It is, it is not like the flu. Right.
0: Uh, I want to move it on to talk about uh, another policing matter and another story we had this week. Uh, Heather, by Heather Brothers about a data presentation that was given to the Police Oversight Study Committee last week from ELPD that the sort of the headline item was effectively that people of color are overrepresented as the, the number of arrests relative to the, the proportion of the population. Um, I recommend reading the article because we won't be able to get fully in-depth to all of the, the different statistics and data. But basically that it sort of represents something that anecdotally we have heard and that you know people assume about police departments around the country that people of color get stopped at a higher rate than white people relative to the population and data from ELPD reflected that.
1: Yeah, I think Heather did a great job bringing that forward, um, work, Emily as an editor, working with Nathan Andrus as um, the person bringing the data in terms of providing visualization of that. And um, the numbers are significant. I, you know, it's difficult for us to know exactly how to think about the background demographics, because obviously, when we're comparing it to the population of East Lansing, the population of East Lansing is not the same as the people who come to East Lansing, work in East Lansing, play in East Lansing, go to school in East Lansing, etc. So, you know, they're, they It's difficult to just simply compare the background residential population with the number of stops, but there's no question that African-Americans are being stopped at a disproportionate rate. And uh, we did hear Chief Johnson, the new chief of police, talk about his concerns with regard to those numbers and his historical perspective where it was kind of like, yeah, we've seen these numbers and we've kind of done nothing with them. So is the police department gonna begin to think about how to do something about those numbers is the question. Yeah,
2: two of the things I found most interesting was how much the numbers could vary wildly from year to year. African Americans were always overrepresented, but sometimes they accounted from anywhere from like 18 to 41% of all arrests. And the ELPD records raised two things that jumped out there were they use categories that are determined by the state of Michigan, but those categories change. So sometimes you have Native Alaskan and Pacific Islander, and sometimes you don't. There is no category for Hispanic or Latino because these are racial and ethnic categories, not just racial ones. Um, and a lot of times my understanding from the article, too, was the office... it race is recorded at least when the statistics were officer-initiated contact, the officer's perception of the individual's race. So there's also a lot of, I think, 10 percent are often unknown.
1: And one more interesting thing, I think, from that article is the fact that um, Asian Americans are underrepresented in terms of the police force itself. So we have, I believe it was about 12 percent um Asian American in terms of the population of East Lansing and nowhere near that in terms of the population of personnel on the police force. So I found that quite interesting as well.
0: Yeah, there was it was just a very interesting look at data and, and providing I think a lot of what we hear about the behavior of police departments and the function and the practices of police departments is entirely anecdotal, which is not worthless but is not comprehensive or something that is necessarily great to base actionable change on whereas this data is something that East Lansing PD itself is recording and keeping and something that that I think for for the purposes of the police oversight study committee is very useful in terms of really getting to understand how ELPD functions and then how to extract information or an oversight committee or create the processes to do that so that it can try and ultimately reform some of these things, I think. And so I think that this data getting presented actually represents a pretty important step in being able to actually try and fix this problem because it's proof that it exists. Absolutely. And on the topic of the HRC and the police oversight study committee, I sat down earlier with Chuck Grigsby, chair of the police study committee to talk about the work they're doing and the the process, the timeline, the goals, and basically the ins and outs of it. So take a listen. I'm here with Chuck Grigsby, who is the chair of the police the study committee on an independent police oversight commission. Um, you're also a member of the Human Relations Commission. Chuck, welcome to the East Lansing Insider podcast, and thank you for for joining me today.
3: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: Um. I wanted to, off the bat, talk about the work of the police study committee, because it's something that is very fresh. You guys have met twice, meet again next Monday, if I'm not mistaken, and something very, very big and daunting, but important to a lot of people in East Lansing. Could you just talk about, I guess, the scale and sort of scope of the task and what you guys are trying to accomplish with that group?
3: Yeah, it's uh, it's a massive task. Um, I I know when I joined um, or showed my interest and was appointed that I really knew there was a lot of work to be done, but I didn't think about really the you know the broad scope um, of the work that needed to be done, and really creating something that's never been done in the city of East Lansing. So um, just really comprehending that in a way that um, it's it's something that we could have you know a comprehensive work plan timeline um, and have data and information be analyzed and looked at um and have presentations come in and have hear from the community to come up with this committee who's going to have uh, independent police oversight uh is is it's I've been learning a lot um and a lot of things I thought I knew already uh, when it comes to uh, getting that goal accomplished
0: right and this comes the formation of the group comes after summer of a lot of unrest um there were some specific incidents of alleged excessive force in east lansing over the winter and then obviously protests regarding police brutality and such over the course of the summer and then this group picks up in fall and winter do you sort of feel that there's been an increased pressure an increased eye on this sort of stuff currently and to get it done
3: yeah there's definitely uh Pressure, um, political pressure coming from the top um, in regards to addressing some of the issues that comes with uh, public safety and, and policies and procedures that are enforced uh, upon the community and some of the challenges with transparency uh, and uh, overall communication um, going both ways. You know, when they, uh, this council decided to do that, you know, our mission was to take testimony, review evidence, examine, you know, methods and other communities that you know review complaints and and misconduct uh so with a racial and um ethnic injustice mindset you know and so um that's a lot that's a lot of pressure to come up with something um that is going to be addressing um, a breadth of all those different uh mandates that have been required upon us to look at and understand and then not only understand it but get a again an outcome in a way that addresses some of the different anxiety associated with
0: it. Right. And I mean added to that pressure has to be the timeline for people who don't know the group the study committee has per the the resolution forming it 6 months to complete a recommendation for city council from their first meeting or get an extension. So you guys basically have 6 months potentially about a year to do this. That surely has to add to the pressure of getting it done.
3: Yeah, um, you know, what, the six months uh, that was created uh, with the resolution, I don't really think at the time council understood um, the what it took, what it takes for a process like this to really come. So that to, to have a predetermined timeline on getting work done and having a work plan that is laid out in a way that you, you're on task with everything um, is just really unrealistic. And, you know, and, and you have 11 people who who come from different backgrounds uh, with all different kinds of understanding of what the job it takes to get done. It's going to take a little while just to even understand how to work with each other. And then when you have the limitations of the Zoom format via uh, the COVID-19 pandemic that we're under right now, um, it's almost unrealistic to even think about time. Um, and your commitment, it's just work that needs to be done and uh, you can look up at, after the fact. But yeah, we, we, we definitely had that, you know, circling around us. I know some people uh, possibly just had the intention to do this for a short period of time, but I think everyone um, who has stepped up to commit to this, this uh, uh, commission um, understands that it's going to take a little bit more than that for us to get where we need to go.
0: All right. Well, Chuck, I want to thank you very much for joining me today. This was very, very interesting and enlightening, and I I look forward to continuing to watch the work that the Oversight Commission or the Study Committee on an Independent Police Oversight Commission can do. So, thanks again. November first marked the beginning of Eli's sustainability campaign, which, in simple terms, is what allows us to keep bringing you nonprofit, nonpartisan coverage of the city of East Lansing. So to give you an update on that and basically explain how we uh, keep the wheels moving here at Eli, we have uh, Emily Elliott and our general manager and general fundraising extraordinaire, Jody Spicer. Take a listen.
2: Hi, this is Emily Joan Elliott from Eli here with Jody Spicer, our general manager who handles fundraising for East Lansing Info. So, Jody, we began our sustainability campaign on November 1st, I believe. Can you tell us a little about what that campaign is and why it's so important to Eli?
4: Sure. Hey, Emily, how's it going? So glad to be here with you and everyone. Uh, I am super excited to be managing the sustainability campaign again this year. And it is so uh, important and exciting. Uh, it is the way that we uh, fundraise and the way we actually support the work that's being done for East Lansing Info. So um, the reason we do a sustainability campaign is so that folks understand that you know, this is, this is how we do this work, is through the support of our donors. And if we can have a lot of that support come in in the last two months of this year during the campaign, Uh, which runs from November 1st to December 31st, then we can do a better job of budgeting and of planning and forecasting and continuing to bring the news to uh, East Lansing. And so we have this focus during the campaign in November and December so that we can try to get so much support From our donors and our readership so that we don't have to continue fundraising into 2021 and instead we can do the work of reporting the news for East Lansing.
2: Great and how is our campaign going four days in?
4: You know it's so exciting. I feel really lucky because I get to watch the numbers grow and I get to see the donations when they come in, the best part about our campaign is that we have $30,000 in matching funds available. And what that means is that when anybody donates any amount, uh, it is matched one-to-one, uh, and we have $30,000 to do that. So if somebody were to donate $100, that $100 actually becomes because we have matching funds. So it's this two-to-one option that we have right now with these matching funds. And so it's super exciting because it, of course, exponentially grows when we do that. And the other nice thing about, or the other exciting thing about it is that when people give monthly, which is an option, um, if they go to our website, Info dot news and click donate now there is an option to donate monthly and when someone donates monthly we can actually match that at the annual rate so if somebody donates let's say ten dollars a month that's 120 dollars a year and we can match that 120 dollars which is awesome so you know and we encourage anyone who's able um, and doing well financially to contribute whatever they can um, and they can do that one time, they can do that as a monthly contribution, they can do that easily through our online link, or they can send a check. We'll take the money any way we can get it.
2: Great. Well, that's really exciting. So I just wanted to encourage our listeners again to go to News and check out our awesome reporting. And hopefully you'll also be able to provide us with some financial support while you're there. Thank you for joining us today, Jody.
4: Great. Thanks. I look forward to joining you again and continuing
2: to give updates. Likewise. Thanks.
0: And before we go with this edition of the East Lansing Insider podcast, we uh, want to announce for the, for the first time that we're going to be holding a, a virtual event to connect with folks, even though we can't be maybe in the same place safely that we can do a, a Zoom event. So we're going to next week on Thursday, November 12th, we're going to be having live on Zoom, time to be decided, a live Ask Eli event. Um, Alice promises that anyone who, uh, comes and asks a question will get a free Eli shirt and that we have a lot of them. Um, I myself am gunning for one cause I'm, I'm 22 years old and who doesn't like a free t-shirt when they're 22 years old. But other than that, keep on the lookout for that with some updates on social media. We'll sure to have those soon. And other than that, for Alice Drager and Emily Joan Elliott, I'm Andrew Graham, and this was episode three of the East Lansing Insider Podcast. Thank you for listening.